Hi there, I'm Pastor Billy Logan. There are a lot of ways to engage with us, but I wanted to take a moment today to thank you for listening here on the Harrisonburg Church of the Nazarene podcast. For more about the church, please check out our website, abeaconofhope.org. That's abeaconofhope.org. You can also catch us live on Facebook each Sunday morning at 9 and 10.30 a.m. Lastly, we would love to invite you to our upcoming Christmas Eve services on December 24th at 4.30 and 6 p.m. We would love to have you at one or both of these services. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1 today. And while you turn there to Luke chapter 1, I was thinking this week about convenience. I was thinking this week about how we really all love convenience. And we live in a day and age where we've never had more convenience at our fingertips than ever before. I mean, think about it with me. And some of us in the room that are a little more seasoned than others, we might really be able to reflect on this. But right now, I'm not suggesting you do this, but right now you could decide there's something you need in your life. And right now, at your fingertips, you could pull this out, and within about 10 seconds, if you know what you're doing, you could order that, and within 48 hours, it will show up at your door for you. Remarkable convenience. Uh, Today, you may decide you need some groceries, and rather than going the old-fashioned way to the store, where you, you just go online, punch in what you need, then you drive up your car, and they'll just bring it right out for you. Lunch today, dinner, whatever you need. Oh, we got an app for that. Just They'll show up, they'll deliver it right to your door for you. Is there some skill, some knowledge that you need, something that you don't know how to do? Just look on YouTube. They'll teach you how to do it. Right? We live in a world of convenience. Directions to anywhere I need to go at a push of a button and now cars that will drive there for me. Man, it's almost as if in the future they'll create a vacuum that vacuums your house for you. Oh, wait, they have that too, right? I mean, think about the amount of convenience that we have at our fingertips. And yet, one of the most fascinating things about the Christmas story is it's not a story of convenience. In fact, in fact, over these next few weeks, as we continue to read and to lean in, we're going to learn and understand that this story is really a story of interruption, Everyone within the Christmas story, all the main characters that we'll study, some of them you you know and you're familiar with, each and every one of them is experiencing here comes heaven, but it's often an an interruption. God intervening, but it's not always convenient, is it? And so today with that in mind, we're going to turn to Luke chapter 1 and we're going to focus on the first character in the Christmas story and it's probably not the character you would expect, it's not Mary And it's not Joseph, and it's not the innkeeper, or the shepherds, or the wise men. This is not a character that will find his way into your nativity set, or onto your Christmas cards. But today, in Luke 1, verse 5, we're going to start with an old priest named Zechariah. And even his name is significant, because if you were here last week, we talked about uh, one of the fascinating things about Christmas is we knew it was coming. And we knew it was coming because for thousands of years, it was promised. The Messiah was coming. You can read in uh, Isaiah chapter 7, the promise, 700 years before Jesus would come, that the Messiah is coming, and then something really fascinating happens. Uh, From the end of the Old Testament into the beginning of the New Testament, there's 400 years of nothing. Silence. And if you were here last week, we talked about that idea of waiting. Well, what does it mean when, when God speaks and we wait, and we're not seeing anything happen, and we're not experiencing anything? And we feel like we're waiting, sometimes in vain. 
And so the significance about this story is after 400 years of waiting, God speaks and he speaks to Zechariah and Zechariah's name means Yahweh remembers. God remembers. He keeps his promise. So let's uh, begin reading now in Luke 1, starting with verse 5. It says this, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, that's important, we'll come back to that in a minute, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were very old. I want to pause and recognize two ideas here that are being contrasted that may not be that important to us. We may not think it's significant, but it's really significant in Luke chapter 1. The first is we know something about Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth. We know they're old, but we know that they're righteous. We know that they're blameless before the Lord. We know that they're seeking after the things of God, that they're delighting themselves in the things of God. And why that's important is because they're living in the time of King Herod. And King Herod was not a godly leader, not a godly king. The nation of Israel, again, was formed out of God's promise that I want you to be my chosen people. I want you to be an example for the rest of the nations of what it means to seek after and follow me. And throughout their history, that they would have a king that would seek after God's heart and be a godly leader. And then they would have a king that would drift far away from the Lord. And Herod is not seeking after the ways of God. We know that he has 10 wives. One of them he puts to death. We're not really sure why. It sounds like really bad reality TV, but this is King Herod. And this is why it's really important to note that Zechariah and Elizabeth were godly because this is a day and age where not a lot of that was happening. There were a lot of people straying from the Lord, not following his decrees. And yet, on one side, we see that they're godly, righteous people, but on the other side, we see that they cannot have children. And while that may seem kind of like a footnote to you and I, in this day, in this age, uh, not being able to have children meant that you were cursed. It meant something was wrong with you. In fact, in Jewish law, it was legal for a man to divorce his wife if she could not have children. That's how important this was in their culture, in their day and age. And so they're presenting these two ideas. On one side, they were righteous, but on the other side, they were childless and probably, in some ways, looked down upon. Let's keep reading in verse 8. Once Zechariah's division was on duty, again, he's a priest. Once uh, his division was on duty, he was serving as a priest before God. He was chosen by law according to custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord to burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. What's going on here? What's going on is that you weren't a priest by vocation. You didn't necessarily say, ooh, I'm really good at reading scripture and praying, so I'm going to be a priest. You were a priest because of your lineage, because of your heritage. If you were a descendant of Aaron, as Zechariah was, then you were considered, you were a priest. And you were given a certain week of the year that you would come to the temple and serve your duty. And there were so many priests, as many as a thousand at once, that not all of them got to go in and kind of observe the priestly functions that we know and we read throughout the Old Testament. In fact, the way that they chose who will go in today, uh, the morning and evening sacrifices offered, and someone would go and represent the people before the presence of God, and they would burn the incense as was their custom, but only one was to do that. And so how did they choose? They didn't choose, like, oh, who's the best looking? Who do we? No, no, they cast a lot. And so this particular day, as many of a thousand priests, Zechariah was chosen. And this is kind of a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to get to go into the presence of God, 
to represent the people, to be there as the sacrifice is being offered, and then to come out and pray the priestly blessing. And that's what's happening on this particular day as Zechariah comes to worship. He's selected to go into the presence of God, and then in the midst of Luke 1, verse 11, here comes heaven. Let's read. It says, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. Standing at the right side of the altar of incense, when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been answered. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit of power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. 400 years of silence. The promise of Emmanuel, the promise of God with us, and then in a moment, here comes heaven, and the angel appears, and this in some way is a divine interruption. A divine interruption because this is not the way Zechariah had it planned. I, I don't know their journey, and I can't imagine uh, some of you have journeyed through um, not being able to have children, biological children of your own, and there's pain in that journey, and it's a long, weary journey that some of you have experienced, and so I don't know what that journey was like for Zechariah, but clearly at this point in his life, he had kind of given up on that dream. He felt like medically, biologically, that ship has sailed, that cannot happen anymore, that was no longer, so he had kind of moved on with his plan, and how he thought the future was going to unfold, and how they thought the rest, and there in the midst of him going throughout his day-to-day, -day, oh, here in the midst of the temple where he expects God to speak, but not in this way, here comes heaven. And this is not just about you, Zechariah. This is not just about you, Elizabeth. No, no, no. This baby, this child is going to pave the way for the Messiah. This moment in time, a series of events is beginning that will lead to Jesus, the Messiah. And Zechariah's response is noteworthy. <laughs> Look at it in verse 18. So Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. Now, husbands, if you're here in the room, I'm going to give you a little bit of advice here. Young guy, if you're not married, this is really good. You should write it down. Notice what Zechariah does here. It's really smooth, but really good. He calls himself old. He calls his wife well in years, right? All right, now that's really good. So be careful, men. This is really good stuff. You didn't think this would show up in the middle of Luke 1, but there's some good advice here. He calls himself old, but she's well along in years. So he just softens the blow for her. She's not old. She's just well along in years. That's good stuff. Free, that was free. You didn't even pay for that, but you got it anyway. That's good stuff. Uh, but look at what Zechariah says. Now remember, for 400 years, there was no revelation of God. There was no angel showing up on the corner. Giving, not, there was nothing. God was not speaking. There was nothing that we know of to, to hear that. And then in the midst of Zechariah going throughout his routine here and entering into the temple and doing his priestly duty, an angel of the Lord shows up and heaven breaks in and the promise of God. And in the midst of that, Zechariah says, can you give me a sign that this is really going to happen? 
Zechariah, you're talking to an angel of the Lord. He was just hanging out up in heaven, and now he's there with you and saying, not this might happen, this could happen, this will happen. And he says, yeah, but prove it. Man. So let's see what the angel says in response. In verse 19, I am Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent. You'll not be able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them, but he remained unable to speak. They're waiting for him to proclaim the blessing, the priestly blessing that we read in the Old Testament, but he comes out and he can't speak. He's just motioning to them. Verse 23, when his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she says. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Here comes heaven. Really, if we were going to retitle this series, Here Comes Heaven is really uh, just about God intervening, right? God intervening into our midst, into our plans. Some would say an interruption. Others would say God intervening. And in this story, how does God intervene? What is it that he's doing? Well, again, for 400 years, God was silent. And now at this moment, in this time, a course of events is beginning that will lead to the Messiah. And so God intervenes in Elizabeth and she becomes pregnant. And that should not be possible. She's well along in years, whatever Zechariah said. She's old. She should not be able, this should not be possible, and yet God intervenes, and it becomes possible, and she'll give birth. And this is not just any child. No, 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 this is John, John the Baptist, that will pave the way, that will lead people back to prepare for the Messiah. God intervenes. Well, God intervenes in Zechariah's life. In this case, God intervenes and he is silenced. And while initially we view that as a punishment, as a consequence for his doubt, his lack of faith, and that's true, really there's more here because Zechariah Zachariah is silenced and in some ways God's providence and provision is in that because in some ways it silences the news. News that King Herod, if King Herod were to find out any, anyone that was going to help prepare the way for the Messiah, he would want that, that news squashed. He would want that baby killed. He would never want that to happen. And so maybe God intervenes in Zechariah's silence so that the birth of this baby could come to pass. Maybe God intervenes in Zechariah's life and forces him to be silent so that he will have to rely fully on God's strength in a time where he could question and doubt in fear. Just like the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, he was blinded until he could truly see. In this story, we see Zechariah is unable to speak until he can truly speak the truth of what God has done. But God intervenes. Today, if we were honest, some of us would admit that Christmas feels like an interruption it feels like an interruption. Seriously, right now in your life, I, there are some, you won't admit it because there's a few people around you that would get really angry, and, but you, you're just trying to get through. You're just trying to survive. You're just trying to check off the boxes. Get, uh, maybe this is not a, a happy time for you. Maybe this is not a time of hope. 
Maybe you've experienced great loss in this past year, and Christmas is just a reminder of pain. And so if you were honest, you may not admit it out loud, you're just trying to survive and get through, and it feels like a big interruption into your life. Maybe today you're experiencing interruptions in many other ways. Maybe uh, there's circumstances going on in your life today that you can't understand. We talked about this a little bit last week. And you're waiting for answers. You're searching. You're wondering, God, where are you in this? There's pain and disappointment. You feel like it's everywhere, all around you, and you're just not. And it's just, if you were honest, it's inconvenient. It's an interruption. And today, I want to draw us into the story. I want to draw us into the divine story of Christmas, a story full of interruptions. That each and every character, each and every person that we read, their life is being interrupted in ways that they hadn't planned. Do you think Mary, as a teenage girl who was engaged to Joseph, oh, he's cute, we'll start a life together. Oh, by the way, Mary, you're pregnant. Oh, I know you're a virgin, it's the Holy Spirit's baby. Do you think that felt convenient to her? Do you think that was in her five-year, ten-year plan? No way. The Christmas story is one of divine interruption. And so today, today, if, if you feel like you're in the midst of inconvenience, if you feel like you're in the midst of interruption, I have great encouragements for you today. I have great hope. And it doesn't come from me. I believe it comes from the power of God's word and this story, this Christmas story coming to life in our hearts. You see, today, I believe your greatest interruption may be your greatest invitation. Today, in your life, whatever that is, and I don't know what that is for you, I don't know what the greatest interruption is in your life today. You know what it is. I don't have to tell you. As soon as I talk about it, as soon as we, uh, it's that thing, whatever it is in the back of your mind, in your heart, the thing that you're dragging around with you, the relationship, the pain, the financial, whatever it is in your life today that you could look at and point and say, man, what an interruption. I didn't have this planned. (laughs) This wasn't my idea. Whatever it is that today could cause confusion in your life and could cause you even to look up to heaven, almost exasperated, God, where are you in this? Today, I believe, I believe the truth of God's word is that your greatest interruption may be your greatest invitation. I'm going to tell you why. Invitation to what? Invitation to what? Well, remember, the nature of this story, the Christmas story, is that the divine is breaking into our midst The extraordinary is interrupting the ordinary, and I believe today, I believe that in your greatest interruption, there is an invitation today for God to show up in your life in a way that you did not expect, in a way that you cannot explain, in a way that only He can get glory. Today, I want to conclude really by looking again at Luke chapter 1, and I want to look at Zechariah's response to interruption I think it's human, I think it's ordinary, I think it's a response that you and I can relate to, and I want to do that so that we can ultimately land today at what I believe is a a posture of obedience, a posture of response that honors the Lord in the midst of interruption. Today, as we look at Luke chapter 1 again, I want you to consider how you and I often respond to interruption in our life. Right now, in circumstances in your life that you could look at, and it feels like maybe you're like me, I like when everything is on schedule and everything has a routine and life never works that way, I know, but in my mind, in my happy place, I like to pretend like it does. And I was getting in my car this morning to come here. I was going to get here a little early because I needed some extra time to just read and pray. And I'm driving, I have like a two-minute commute to get here. And in the middle of my two-minute commute, somebody pulls up and is like, yeah, you got a flat tire. And I'm like, oh, interruption, Right? (laughs) And I wish I could say in that moment I experienced the joy of heaven breaking in on me in the car and I 
thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. That I didn't feel that way at all. It was cold. But today, I want to look at the posture of our hearts in response to interruption. The first, we see in Luke 1, verse 12, Zechariah's response was fear. Look in verse 12. It says, in response to the angel, he was gripped with fear. Now, I can understand standing in the presence of something holy, something divine, an angel of the Lord. Like, okay, I get it. Your knees are going to buckle. Your knees... But in this moment, I think Zechariah's response is the exact same response that many of us have in the face of interruption. We're afraid. We're terrified. What does this mean? What is this going to mean for tomorrow? What is this going to mean for my, my future? What is this going to mean for fill in the blank? Whatever it is for you, how's this going to impact my bank account, God? How's this going to, whatever that means, I'm using that example because it's real for me, but in this moment, that while fear is understandable for the life of the believer, fear cannot be our default. That's the problem. That's the issue. The issue is not that we experience fear in our lives. That is part of living in a broken world. That is part of living in a world filled with brokenness and sin. And that fear is going to be a reality in our lives. But in the life of the believer, we don't have to default to fear, especially in the face of uncertainty. Isn't that true? Often in our lives, we don't default to joy. Oh, something unexpected has come up. Praise the Lord, I'm great, right? That's not our default. We don't default to prayer. We don't default to being still. We default oftentimes to fear. And the more I study and the more I learn and the more I walk through this life and the more I live in the world that you live in, and, and I realize that fear in our lives has become an epidemic. That you and I live in a world today that has never been more afraid than we are. I don't have to tell you that. You live in the world that I live in. You watch the news. You, you, you hear the stories. You, you understand what it is to live. And if you allowed yourself today, you could be overwhelmed by fear. This is so important to us that in, in the new year, in 2020, we're going to begin in the month of January with a specific focus on Sunday mornings and midweek workshops where we focus just on this idea of fear because I believe that one of the best ways that we could honor the Lord in this new year is that we could commit together that we are not going to be a slave to fear, that we are not going to be a slave, that fear will always try to raise its ugly head and to be afraid is to be human. We know that, but we do not have to be slaves to fear if we belong to Christ. And so we're going to begin this new year empowered to really believe that God can help us overcome fear. Why? Because often, isn't that what we do? Isn't that what we do when new circumstances come? But that cannot be in Christ. Our default is fear. What else does Zechariah do? What else does he do? He um, doesn't just fear. Look at verse 18. He doubts. He doubts. An angel of the Lord is standing there in his midst, and he says, well, how can I be sure of this? Come on, give me details. Let me see the clear picture. Zechariah, he wants clarity, right? He wants a step-by-step. -step. He wants to see the plan. He wants to understand how, how A and B are going to lead to C. Haven't you been there in your life? Are you there right now today? And it doesn't matter what God has done in the past because some of us in this room, man, we could point back to miracle after miracle, times when God showed up, times when we cannot explain it except to say, man, look at what God did. And it doesn't matter that God did it then. Here in this moment, we're afraid. Here in this moment, we're doubting, we're fearing, we're looking at God and we're saying, ah, you got to give me more. I can't, I can't do that. 
It's like yesterday's blessings aren't enough for today, and so there we stand in the presence of God, and we say, nah, no thanks. You got, you got somebody else. But can I be honest today? Can I be honest in my life that if there's two things that I wrestle with often, like daily, if I allowed them in my, life, in my ear kind of whispering, it's fear and doubt. That we at this church, we have a great staff, we have a great leadership team, volunteers who show up week after week and make so much of what happens here possible. But can I be honest that in this position of leadership that I have the privilege of holding at this church, that if I let it, man, fear and doubt could be a daily battle in my mind. These are the kind of questions that haunt me sometimes. What if I'm not enough? Well, what happens if I fail? What if I miss something? What if I lead us astray? What if I do something wrong? What if I'm preaching and my zipper is down, right? I mean, these are the things that haunt me. That's actually happened before, but I think I'm good today, so thanks for asking. I'm not, I'm not saying that to try to, to pretend like I know you and I know the fear that you, but I'm just here to say that, that I'm not preaching to you about something that I can't relate to in my mind. I mean, in my life. When the circumstances change, when I don't understand, when the diagnosis isn't good, when the headlines and the news discourage me, when my bank account is depleted, when my kids are acting a fool, right? What is my default often? It's fear and doubt in the midst of the interruption that I cannot understand. And so today, I want to invite you, wherever you are today, in the midst of interruption, to believe in faith that maybe your greatest interruption is God's greatest invitation for you. Invitation to do what? Well, what does fear and doubt do? Fear and doubt for me in the midst of, of whatever I'm facing, it, it, it focuses on me. Did you hear the question? What if I can't? What if I do? What if I? It's all, often about me or the circumstances around me. It's, it's almost like worship, but I'm worshiping. A fear is really just worship and worry of the details and worry of the things around me. But what happens when I move my heart away from that posture and I begin to see this interruption as an invitation. What is God really inviting me to do? He's inviting me to take my focus off of me, off of my circumstances, and to place my focus fully on him. And I believe, I believe often the interruptions that we face are invitations. Invitations to invite the presence of God in. Invitations to get our eyes off of us and off our circumstances and onto him. Invitations for him to show up here comes heaven in your life to get glory in circumstances that you can't explain to do things in your life that you couldn't do on your own. Oftentimes, if we will allow them, even in the midst of pain, even in the midst of uncertainty, that, that interruption can be the greatest invitation for God to show up and do something miraculous. And, and so can I suggest today a, a different response? I get fear, I get doubt, man, I'm there every day. I understand it, but today can I suggest a response that I think honors the Lord? I, I think it's biblical. I think it was Elizabeth's response in this story. If you keep reading, you know that Elizabeth is cousins with this girl named Mary, and she's the mother of Jesus, and Mary's response, I think, is this. But in the midst of interruption today in your life, I, I think a posture that honors the Lord is a very simple prayer, and it's just two words. It's this, come, Jesus. Remember, fear and doubt, what do they do? They, they focus on me. They focus on the circumstances. All it does is drum up all the impossible things, all the what-ifs and the what-ifs. But in the midst of that, in the midst of the interruption that you're facing today, what if 
instead of putting so much focus on me, instead of putting so much focus on the what if and the unknown around me, what if you and I could instead put our focus fully on saying, come Jesus, into my circumstances, into my brokenness, into my fears, into my failures, into the uncertainty. I'm not sure how A plus B is going to get to C. I'm not really sure how this can be a part of your plan. I'm not sure how you can redeem this for your glory, but in the midst of it, instead of fear, instead of doubt, I'm going to assume a posture that just simply says, come Jesus. Come Jesus. Today, what would that look like in your life? What would that look like for the posture of your heart today to change? Some of us, the posture of our hearts, we're ready for a battle. We're ready to, we're living in fear and in doubt. And today, whatever it is that you're experiencing, whatever interruption, whatever circumstances are breaking in around you and would cause you to fear and doubt that God is good and that he is Emmanuel, God with us today, I want to invite you to change the posture of your heart to a posture that says, come Jesus. You are still Emmanuel. You are still God with us. You are still, that's who you were and that's who you are and that's who you will be because that's the truth of the gospel. That's the truth of the story that we claim as our own today, that you are the God who came and you are the God who comes. And so today, my greatest interruption is the greatest invitation to invite you in, to recognize, God, I don't know. I don't know how this can work. I don't know how you can be good in the midst of this. I don't know how you can show up even in this, but today I'm going to stop running. I'm going to stop fighting. I'm going to stop hiding, and I'm going to invite you, come Jesus, into my brokenness, into my plans that are a little off kilter, into the interruptions that I'm experiencing today. I want to invite you, a divine invitation. Would you stand now to your feet? We're going to close. We're going to sing. We're going to worship, but we're going to practice what we just preached. We're going to practice what we preached because some of us came in the room today and we're overcome with fear. Some of us came in the room today in doubt. Oh, it feels so heavy on our hearts. And I just felt led as I was writing and preparing that there were a couple people that would show up today. And maybe that's you. And you are overwhelmed today. You are overcome with the circumstances of life. You are overcome with what, honestly, it feels like interruption. It feels like uncertainty. It feels like the roadmap is not even a map anymore, and you don't know how this is going to work out. And today, I just felt led to invite you to assume a posture, a posture that says, come Jesus. So just a minute, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to invite us. We're going to sing, and we're going to respond through worship. But for some in the room today, I'm going to invite you to take a posture a posture outwardly. Now, we believe God's working inwardly, and so we believe the outward's good, but man, we're really, we're really grateful for what God's doing internally, but sometimes it helps us and we can respond outwardly to what God's doing inwardly. And so I'm gonna invite you in just a minute as we sing to take a posture. It's not the posture, but a posture, and that posture is this kneel. Now, some people are really uncomfortable with this, and that's you, that's okay. But for some of us today, we just want to take a posture, and a posture of kneeling is literally a posture that says, I surrender. It literally means I can't get up and run, that I am powerless in this position. And so some of us, as we pray in a minute, we're going to kneel. And by kneeling, we're just going to say, come Jesus into my brokenness, into my uncertainty, into the interruptions that I, come 
Jesus. Some, you may want to come and you may want to kneel at an altar. There's nothing magical about that. It's just a place. It's a place that sometimes when there's a burden so great on our hearts that we just, we got to do something about it. And so today, some are going to come. Our prayer team is on their way now and they're going to come and they just want to pray. Come, Jesus. And if that's you today, all are welcome today. Jesus, we pray. Jesus, we pray today. Thank you that you came. Thank you that you came, but thank you that you still come. You still show up in the lives of broken, hopeless, defeated people. You still show up in the lives of those that are doubting and questioning. And today, some of us need to take a step, need to take a step in faith. The posture of our hearts could just say, come, Jesus. I don't understand it. I can't explain it. I'm scared. I'm, I'm frustrated. But in the midst of it, I choose a posture today that says, come, Jesus. In faith, we believe you're already coming. In faith, we believe you're already there. Why? Because that's the God that we serve, Emmanuel, God with us. And so we welcome you now into the interruptions, into the frustrations, into the uncertainty. And we believe, Lord, we believe in it that you can work for our good. We love you now and we welcome you. Come, Jesus. Come, Jesus. Thank you again for listening here today. If you have any questions at all, feel free to reach out to us at info at a beaconofhope.org. That's info at a beaconofhope.org. If you happen to be in the Harrisonburg, Virginia area, we'd love for you to join us at 1871 Boyers Road in Rockingham, Virginia. We meet every Sunday morning at 9 and 10.30 a.m. in English and then at 11.45 in Spanish. Celebrate Recovery also meets here each and every week, Monday nights at 6 p.m. If you enjoyed the podcast today, please be sure to subscribe in order to get updates and new episodes.